0: Hello and welcome in. This is High Notes, Nashville Sports. I'm your host, Garrett Pave. Joined this week, our second episode by special guest star, my good friend, Nashville native, and current Lipscomb University student, Connor Owens. Connor, welcome in. How's it going?
1: Good, Garrett. How are you?
0: Doing good, man. Doing good. So, like I said, Connor Owens, a Nashville native. Him and I uh, did some football work together. Back in my time in Nashville, a really knowledgeable man when it comes to Nashville sports. Connor, we're going to jump right in and... As we all know of Nashville fans, this is a hot topic, the Nashville Predators. So I'm going to ask you a very simple, blatant question. What is going on with the Nashville Predators right now so far this season?
1: You know, Garrett, I've heard that question so many times, and everywhere I go is a different answer. Yep. You know, it's, it's David Poyle, in my opinion, probably one of the greatest general managers in the NHL right now. Yep. It's John Hines. It's the players. It's COVID. Who knows? like it's it's gotten to a point with the Preds where it's very shaky and you have no idea what in the world they're thinking. Yep. Um, and I never thought I'd hear, I never thought I'd say this. I never thought I'd read this, but there there's a really good chance that we will be trading a lot of our top guys like Philip Forbes, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvids all be gone by the trade deadline. Yep. And to me, it looks like the Predators are in full rebuild mode. Yeah,
0: I agree. I mean, I think, you know, I've, I have a hockey show here. I'm, mean, you know, coming to the University of Missouri, doing a hockey show. And I've talked about this all season long. It's, you know, for Nashville, it's the inability to score. And I think that's really gotten them. And then it's also been the other big piece. We know Nashville, you know, just four short years ago, this team's in the Stanley Cup against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it's a young roster that was playing unbelievably hot at the right time they're now the second oldest team in the league at 28 years old, the average age. So I know it's crazy. They're the second oldest team in the league right now. These guys like Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, you know, Roman Yossi, they're getting older. They are. And on top of that, we talk about the scoring being an issue, the goaltending, you um, see Soros, the self-proclaimed kind of, you know, hero for Nashville. who's going to be the new, the next Pecorine has been a big time disappointment. And of course he's on the IR right now as is Matthew Shane, Ryan Ellis, and Luke Coon, and it seems like nothing can go right for this Nashville team. But we talk about, you know, you talk about this, the, the, the one wanted to trade, Victor Arvidsson, Phil Forsberg. So David Poyle announced the only guys are going to protect are Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, and Pecorino. What do you make of Poyle coming out and saying those are the only three guys they want to protect right now?
1: That, that just answers the question, are they in rebuild mode? Him saying yeah. that is yes. Yeah. Like, three guys of... How many how many guys are on their roster?
0: You got, what, 16? You got about – you got four lines of offense, so 12, 16, 18. You got 20 guys on the active – Yeah, yet about 25 on the active roster.
1: So that's 17 guys who don't know what their future in Nashville is. Correct. Like, that's – that's crazy. I, honestly, if I was David Poyle, I would not have answered that question. No. Because, like, I would just – But at the same time, if he did not answer the question and then he comes out and trades, Ryan Ellis is probably one of the best players to ever play for the Nashville Pairs. He is a fan favorite. And, of course, he's being protected. But had David Poyle not said anything and we get to the trade deadline and we trade Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, Duchene, Saros, all these guys, David Poyle would be the most hated man in Nashville. 100%. You look at – One thing that I can think of when it comes to trading a fan favorite is Shea Weber. Yes. Trading Shea Weber for P.K. Subban, in my opinion, was probably the biggest mistake ever.
0: Agreed. Look at what Weber's doing, too, in Montreal. He's still playing at a high level. I mean, we couldn't – P.K. Subban was first year or two as a flashy player, and then after that, it just dropped quick. And has P.K. done anything with the Devils? Nothing. Nothing. He's, he's scoring maybe five goals a season, if he's lucky, if he's lucky.
1: And it, it's crazy. I mean, was that situation, do you think Weber for Subban was getting – if it is, it's a stupid decision, getting rid of a veteran guy who's getting older and bringing in youth? I, you, I think it was – yeah, I mean, I think it was part of that. Look, Nashville – We've known this. Nashville
0: has not needed to revamp their defensive core in a long time. They have a very strong defensive core, even right now. You look at Yossi Ellis, Ekholm, Fabro—really great players. Um, but to answer your question: I think it was a move to get more youth in there. And at the time, let's be honest, PK Subban was a flashy player. He's always had this flashy style of play. He's physical. He's an aggressor. He can also score. Uh, he was an agile player. They—it it seemed like when he was coming to Nashville it was his perfect fit. He was a very vibrant guy. He loved the big city feel and Nashville was that, but you bring in youth and you give up a veteran player who at the time, this, this shook the organization because at the time Shea Weber was pretty much the rock of the team. Like Roman Yossi is now. I mean, if they trade with Roman Yossi, it, that city would explode because he is the rock of that organization.
1: And we we just signed him to this big extension. We named him captain after Mike Fisher retired for the second time. Like, my, my, another thing that I have with Subban is, do you think we could have gotten PK without trading Shea Weber? I do. I do.
0: I, I think Subban's trade value was not as high as people anticipated. And I think when I got the news on my phone that we had traded away Shea Weber, I couldn't believe it because Shea Weber was still playing at a high level. Like it's not like he was a poor player who wasn't showing any skill. He was still playing at a very, very high level.
1: He had so, the fastest shot in the league.
0: That's what I'm saying. So you're going to bring in what PK Subban for Weber? And okay, let's be honest. I think probably the year after we traded him, it all of a sudden looked like we had lost that trade because Weber was still performing. It took Subban time to fit into the role. And my problem with PK Subban is he's too he dances too much on the ice. Like he's, you know, he moves his feet almost too much. Like sometimes you want to get in and shoot the puck. Shea Weber. He gets the puck. He's putting that thing on net right away. That that is his game, and it's
1: it's almost like PK thinks it's it's a joke. Like it does. It's, I agree. It, it's it, playtime. It's it, 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 it's not serious for him.
0: Yeah, and, and Nash it, it almost like you you mentioned that. I think it's a great point. Nashville needs somebody like Shea Weber right now, who's just gonna throw the puck on net because right now, it, and but not only throw it on net put it on net. I was at a game this past couple weekends going against Columbus. We shot 54 times, only 28 pucks made it on net. 28 Mm. on net on 54 shots is a terrible ratio. And right now that's been kind of the story all season for Nashville is you're okay. You're shooting it, but you got to put on net. And the only player right now, and this is funny, you talk about kind of, you know, who they want to trade. They don't want to trade the only player who has been actually two players. In my opinion, who have been a consistent offensive force besides Yosti Ellis are Philip Forsberg and Ellie Tolvanen. I think Ellie Tolvanen is a guy who a few years ago they brought in. The hype was crazy around him coming in as a young rookie. He has now settled into that role, has been a really dominant scorer the past couple of weeks for Nashville. So do you look at him as a guy like, okay, he's 22 years old, right? The ceiling is way higher than the floor is for him. Is he a guy you keep around? but also Forsberg? Forsberg leads the team in 24 points. Like, what do you do with him, you know?
1: It's crazy, but my thing is, like, when it comes to the trade deadline and people saying that Forsberg, Harvidsson is gonna be are going to be gone, would you take, would you take, I'm going to put young in quotes here because they're yep. getting a little bit older, but they're still sort of young. Yep. Do you think trading guys like that would attract teams to give up a veteran to come to Nashville? Like, would, Like again, let's look at Shea Weber. Would, do, yeah. you, do you think a trade like Arvidsson and Forsberg to Montreal for Shea Weber, would that work? Yeah. Like, I think I, I think it would. And I think Nashville – I mean, we know this. We've lived here our whole lives.
0: Nashville is an attractive city to play in. And the idea of Nashville around the country is really – it's an attractive place to play because – it's a growing city, and the fan base gets behind the team. That's that's the mm-hmm. one thing Nashville does well too: is the fan base is very passionate about their well, team. Not every fan base, not every, not every fan base. That's true. That's true. Vanderbilt, but uh, <laughs> it's it's you know with the Predators, I, I I I do think that's a potential option. I think a team. Victor Arvidsson. I like that you mentioned that name, Victor Arbison, I've always had this love hate relationship with Arby. I I love his style of play. I love that he's physical. He's a scrapper. But he can't really generate his own offense. He has one MO. He's gonna skate down the right side and fire a slap shot. And if it doesn't go in, then he's more of a role player. That that's his game. That's his game. He's fast, he gets on the side, shoots. That's it. Love the guy. But that's my only downside on him. But if you pair him with a Forsberg and ship them off for, like you said, a Shea Weber, why not? But I tend to think, I tend to think if you're David Poyle. You want to go younger, but because he's the he's the longest active tenured general manager, he might try to look for veteran presence. Which do you want? I think the NHL is
1: an evolving game of young players, but what are you looking for? You know, I think one guy who's both young and a veteran. I think the perfect example is Connor McDavid. You know, yeah, that would if we brought in a guy like Connor McDavid. I think this city would go absolutely nuts. I like we would go from being one of the worst teams in the NHL to being a somewhat hot Stanley Cup contender.
0: 100%. You know, Connor, you and I talked about this a little bit. This is actually going way back before the season started. We talked about some free agency notes. And a guy that you and I both talked about a little bit was Taylor Hall. And he got picked up by Buffalo in the free agency. Nashville made a little bit of a run at him, but not a crazy run. He's in Buffalo right now, and he's got two goals. He's played in over 20 games, and he's got two goals. So there's a missed tournament there. And Buffalo has said actively they'll pursue a trade for him if the opportunity comes about. He is a young guy who has shown he can score at a consistent level. Arizona, New Jersey, he's been all over the place, but he's played well. This is his first destination. He really hasn't meshed well. He's a guy you could potentially see Nashville ship off, maybe a Forsberg, and Arvidsson for him in exchange.
1: I honestly think that it would not take a player to get Taylor Hall. You I don't think, think so? Maybe a draft pick? A group of picks, like two or yeah. three draft picks to yeah. Buffalo for Taylor Hall. They'd take it. Which would be interesting
0: because his trade value, I guess you could say, is lower right now because of the you know disappointment he's had this season. Um, but you're right. Nashville just needs a rejuvenation because it's it's sad to watch the games on TV because the team has no oh, energy. Oh, I turn them all.
1: Oh, them it's off. bad.
0: You have to. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> I've been watching games halfway through, and you got to cut them off because it looks like they don't care. They're slow. They're sluggish. Um, and I, I'll tell you, man, it's – with me, it's – John Hines has been a um, – I, I – what do you think – What do you, okay, what do you think about
1: John Hines? Firing Peter Laviolette was a big mistake. Agreed, 100%. Big mistake. Yep. Because you look at him – he's – my thing is, what's the deal with Nashville coaches and Washington?
0: I don't know. Barry Trotz, well, like you way. look
1: at Barry Trotz, 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 and Laviolette both went to Washington after their time with the Predators. Yep. And you again, you look at your Laviolette in Washington. Look how outstanding Washington is. I mean, like he it's just, just got his six hundred and fiftieth career win like two or three days ago. Yeah, they are winning. We're not. Yep. We were winning with Laviolette. I think the. I think the excuse was, for the reason what we fired him was we were on like what five game losing streak. Yes. But we have John Hines and we go on like ten game losing streaks. Yeah, and, and what I didn't, our-
0: what I didn't like about the Hines hire, and I don't love Hines as a coach anyway, but it wasn't as much him as a coach. It's the fact that we fired Laviolette and then, no joke, two days later. You go on and hire John and Heights who had previously been fired by the Devils two months earlier.
1: So because he, he there, there's a reason you got fired. I, thank I you, back exactly. At, I, I look back at his Devils record; he yep. sucked, awful. It's terrible. He was he, And then why do you think a coach like that, who I've never heard of until the day we hired him, yep? Why do you think oh coming here would would be better? And you're exactly right. It was too quick.
0: Desperate. It was. It was. a, it was a desperation hire. I mean, we had
1: it. an assistant under Laviolette who could have done a okay job as an interim. You go to the off season. Yep. And you have this whole like, who knows? Like, there might be a like, what, what's his name? Tortorelli in Columbus. Tortorello. Yes, Tortorella. Yes. He's great. Like the, the way he's looked, like he's he's a little bit shaky. Like his, yep. I don't know how much longer he would have in Columbus had he'd have been fired. Boom,
0: there's our coach. Agreed. And I think uh, another point too is John Hines is 46 years old. That's young for an initial coach. That's a pretty young age for an initial coach. So it's, you look at, for example, the Florida Panthers, right? They fired their coach, went out and got Joe Quinville. Now, Quinville's an age veteran, he's an old coach. Look at what Florida's doing this year. They're sitting top three in the league right now. They're dominating teams. They're scoring at a high level. So there was a lot of talk. Yeah, it's a lot of talk of, like, did Poyle bring in a young coach to kind of, you know, sit with the team and, you know, mesh well? But nothing meshed well. And I'm like you, why not? What is the harm in waiting till the offseason, bringing in a new coach and getting his system going instead of bringing him in? Because players don't do well with bringing in a coach halfway through the
1: season, it doesn't do well. I mean, and you look, those players loved playing for Laviolette. Of course, 100%. They loved him. And yeah. exactly what you just said. He had a totally different system. You fire yeah. him midway through the season. Two days later, they have a new coach they have to get yeah. used to for a game the next day. Yep, yeah.
0: It doesn't make sense. And I, I think that's been the center of frustration for us Nashville fans is mm-hmm. – Was that a necessary hire? Okay, they lost five in a row, whatever. Every NHL team goes through a stretch of games where they struggle. You're inevitably going to lose. I don't care if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you have all the talent in the world. You're going to go through a stretch where you lose a few games in a row. It happens. It happens to every team. Why make a change that quick? And I mentioned this earlier, Poyle has been also right at the center of this talk only because he is the longest tenured current GM in the NHL. He's been the GM since 1997, when the team was established, and he's 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 been there the whole way. So, the argument is: Do you bring in a young face to run the organization? Because it seems like the NHL is very much now a young league in terms of who's dominating. Connor McDavid. Okay, he's not 22 years old, but he's still a young player. As is Leon Drysdale, Nathan McKinnon, Alex Debrinkett, These young players who are kind of taking the league by storm. So. As much as we love David Poyle, what do you think? Do they stick with him for the next few years or do they shift gears completely and just blow the organization
1: up? The only problem I've had with Poyle is this year. Agreed. So if he's been here since 97 and only one bad year, yeah. I mean, you gotta give him a chance to to fix it.
0: We're a little you spoiled, know? you could say. We've had we four years ago, you know, this is a team they went, they went the cup. They won the president's trophy the next year and the next year they made the playoffs. Again, it's one of the top teams in the West. We're used to success as of recently. I mean, this is a successful organization, but I like your point. And I think it's hard. I look I have criticized Hines all year. I've been frustrated, but you almost got to look to, and and dig back before you look at the business side, look at the roster too. Ryan Johansson. Is he really a first line center? No, he's not. This is a second or third line center who's a good – he can spread the puck around. Matthew Shane is a 30-plus goal scorer in Ottawa and cannot find the back of the net to save his life in Nashville.
1: And, talking about lines, like a couple mm. – a few a few games ago, like John Hines flipped the line completely. Everybody was moved. Yep. And we yep. win. Yep. The yep. very next game, he goes to the line that it was before and we get our butts kicked. You you find, yeah. you find something just a little bit successful, you win, and then you, you're like, oh, well, let's let's go on to something different. I'm the same way. It,
0: it's, it's almost like they're so stuck in their ways of keeping the Jofa line together with Ryan Johansson, Victor Arbenton, Philip Forsberg, as great as those guys have been in years past. Look who's played well this year. Eric Holoff has come in and played phenomenal so far, as has Ellie Tolvanen, Nick Cousins. Guys who aren't these big names, but they're scoring well. That's what you need. I don't care if you think Philip Forsberg or Victor Arvidsson are a top-line player. If they're not performing, just like you said, you've got to switch something up, and it's been that inability to change that's gotten to Nashville. It has. And I think defensively, there's not much you need to change. I mean, the defensive core is intact. They're playing well. Matias Ekholm made his return a few nights ago, scored two goals. The defense is fine. I, I have no issue with the defense. I think they are still playing at a high level. It's the inability to score and the goaltending. And I think UC Sorrows is another point we haven't talked about much that has struggled, like, I mean, bad. It's been bad.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, going back, looking at John Hines, I just looked up his record. At New Jersey, he was 354, 150, and 159. 45 points and a 200% winning percentage. Or 200 winning percentage. Here in Nashville, he's 26, 16, and 11. One overtime loss. One in three in the postseason, and a 250 winning percentage.
0: Yeah, it's just not. It's not good enough. It's not there. Um, and and it's it's just been. I mean, even last year, in that in that playoff series against Arizona, is really where we saw. I think the downward trend this team is going to go this year. I think the way we got beat by Arizona was embarrassing. And then what do you do? You go in the off season and you, you bring in Luke Coonan, Brad Richardson, Nick Cousins, Eric Holla. And despite Hall and Cousins playing pretty well, Coonan's uh, been non-existent. He's been hurt all year, pretty much. Brad Richardson is a, exclusively a penalty kill guy. And yet the penalty kill is still bottom four in the league, as is the power play. So you bring in these four older players and you're really getting nothing out of them. And John Hines is, and this is still, don't get me wrong. You and I know this, this is still a talented roster. I I don't care what you say. This is still a talented roster with players that can score at a good level, but why aren't they playing well together? And Hines, it's just been that consistent downward trend since the day they hired him. It's been that way.
1: Look look at where he's finished um in his division since he was at New Jersey. Seventh, eighth, fifth, eighth, fired, fifth. Yeah, that should say something.
0: Like that should say something right there. And they're what? They're sixth in the central right now. And they're lucky. Postseason.
1: Okay. Postseason, missed playoffs, missed playoffs, lost in the first round, missed playoffs, lost in qualifying round.
0: And in this year, they're not going to make it unless He's unless won. something crazy happens.
1: He's played nine games in the postseason, won twice. That's an issue. That's an issue. Twice. And it's everybody – look, I, I
0: get that it's COVID, and I get that they have to have a you know, training camp in and a system and whatever, but the, pro sports is very much about learning on the fly and getting okay. stuff put in on the fly. In college, okay. You got new kids coming in. It's a totally different ballgame.
1: Yeah, Pro pros sports, if, pros. If you don't win, you're gone. Exactly, and he's not winning. He's not and winning. Why is he
0: still here? But not only is he not winning, we're getting beat. Embarrassed. Like, it's embarrassing. Like, like there are some games where it's
1: embarrassing. You you know how bad Detroit has been. Yes, the past couple of years, they make we've made them look so good. I know. You, you look at Florida. I know they're. Over the past couple of years, they've been they've been good, yeah. But they're not used to winning. They beat us yesterday, six to two. Yep. We lost to oh, Carolina. Not Ford. to mention,
0: not to mention the guy yesterday who scored Noah Chari, who had a hat trick against us. He hadn't scored a point all year. That's the first three points of the year. And Made him like, a superstar.
1: I mean, I'm looking at our schedule now. I mean, losing four to one and six to one to Tampa. I mean, that that was expected. I mean, yep, it's of terrible. Course. Um. We we've played Carolina, let's see. One, two, two times, and we've lost both. Of course. And these are
0: five of our 10
1: wins have come against Columbus. And let me tell you right now,
0: Columbus is not good. Columbus is floundering, trying to find their way. So we've five of our 10 wins have come against one of the most mediocre teams in the division, and I'm not saying we're not because we are right now one of the most mediocre teams in the division.
1: But they they shut us out once. They've only beat us once all year, and it was three. There you uh, go, three to nothing. There you go. And, and I who
0: mean, is, who is their coach? John Tortorella.
1: What was I saying? There he is. He's he I, will not. He will not. I'm I'm saying it right now. He will not be Columbus's head coach next year.
0: No, he will not. They they are going to get rid of him before they do
1: anything else. And, and I, I think a team will pick him up, and why can it not be Nashville? Yeah, why not look to him? He has had successful teams. He Here is
0: why I think Columbus is struggling. I know this is Nashville. This is why Columbus is struggling. John Tortorella demands excellence. He's a tough coach. He wants everything you can get out of him. And we'll hit it later, but you mentioned Clark Lee, Notre Dame's coach, I mean, Vanderbilt's head coach now, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, is the same way, right, demanding mm. excellence. John Tortorella is that way.
1: He Tortorella has been a coach in the NHL since 1999, and he has finished top five in all of his divisions except for once. His first year in Columbus, they finished eighth. He's been they were the
0: team too that swept Tampa Bay that one year where Tampa Bay was a President's Trophy winner. Columbus came in, swept him 4 0. No one expected that coming, and they did. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. He does.
1: But the past four year, past four seasons, they have not gotten past the second round. Yeah. So it's, he, he's on a downward spiral, and it's getting to a point where I don't think Columbus will take it. Which you know. might
0: actually be a blessing in disguise for Nashville if they have uh, the opportunity. But I, as much as I want them to, I don't think they'll let go of Hines. I think they –
1: I just, I have this eerie feeling if that they're going to give him time. If David Poyle wants to be respected in Nashville, mm-hmm. if he wants to, the fan base is kind of getting shaky. It is agreed. If he wants to excite the fan base again, and if he wants to listen to the fans, because there's no question, fans have been to, like vocally disappointed. Yep. In John Hines, get rid of John Hines, and if Tortorella is available, bring him in. Right. Like,
0: because here's here's the thing too is like. You mentioned it—the fan base. Why pay for a product that's not good? And yeah. and that's the story of Nashville right now. Is why am I going to go in a COVID environment, pay two hundred bucks to sit lower level to watch us get beat six to one against Tampa Bay? Why am I going to watch that? Because we know what's going to happen. Th- this team is so predictable right now. We're the most predictable team in the entire league. We roll but up it, there.
1: It gets to a point where if I'm like, the very few games I watch, if we're winning, I get excited for no reason because I should know we're going to blow it. 100%. 100%. Like, there's so many teams out there who, and the Preds should not be one of them, where fans should not be excited if you if your team is winning because yeah. they're going to blow it. Yeah, agreed.
0: That's how it is here. Every game you watch, you're up one goal, you're worried about what's going to happen. Because yeah. we're not being negative. We're just being realistic and we know how this team is. We're, we've being, seen them we're, all being we're being the
1: We're being a fan. Yes, we
0: are. We know what it is. And it has been that this whole season for Nashville. And it's like, I mean, look, this past weekend, for example, I was at one of the games. They beat Columbus twice, right? They have played mm-hmm. their best hockey this season, arguably. It looked like they're turning that corner. What happens? They come out and they've lost three straight and they've looked as bad as they looked all season. So Man.
1: I am so scared because tonight, you know who we play tonight? Dallas tonight. Dallas. Dallas has had our number so much. Yep. Like we we played them in the uh, playoffs, like what two years ago, and they swept yeah, and
0: us. BS in the first round. Yep. We couldn't. We could not score, to save our life in that
1: series. It, it, and it's crazy. And you look how good Dallas has been good. No, they've been great for yep. a couple of years. Like. And COVID tonight, has I, I hit I them hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, tonight's going to be – yeah. I mean, tonight's going to be a
1: – one of those games it, that – What is it, at Dallas? It's in Dallas. Yeah. crap.
0: So we're going to look at – you're looking at a team now that's lost three straight, versus in four straight, and then what happens? Then, let me say this too. Tonight starts an eight-game road trip for us where we play Tampa, Florida, and Carolina all on the road.
1: That's the – those teams, so but I don't know because looking at it, technically, we have a better record than Dallas. We're we 10, we're 10, 14, and oh, they're seven, eight, and four. Yep, but still, they, they're they losing, but they look good losing. Yep, and they're again. They've played so
0: what we've played 24 games, right? They've played 19, so they have played five less games because COVID has just absolutely rocked that organization as of recently. So they're still trying to get these games in, but. This is now their longest stretch of hockey they play without a cancellation, and they're playing their best hockey. And they're they're in the rhythm. They got young talent all over the ice. That's what Dallas is doing well too. Miro Heiskanen, one of the best young defensemen in the league, has just taken it by storm. And but I
1: mean, you you look at him. I'm looking at that right now. He he leads them in points and goals over the last five games. Three points and two goals. Yep, oh, that's been fantastic. For Forsberg leads us in points. He has seven points in the past five games. Ekholm yep. has four four goals in the past five games. And yep. Forsberg has six assists in the last five games.
0: Forsberg is, I'm telling you, we if we trade him, which I don't think we should personally, that we guy is gonna to have good. he's gonna have value because he is shining on this roster. I mean, even as much as I, I love actually, Roman Yossi,
1: Yossi's at- been good this year but not great i looked that up a couple days ago uh the nhl trade deadline Mm. and what teams should get if they trade one of their star players but what really surprised me is the only team that i saw that would trade for fortsburg was pittsburgh interesting and the only thing that it said that we should get in return is draft picks
0: which would in my opinion is not good enough for what you're trading them for i mean i I, I think a potential, you know, you're, you're looking at maybe a potential Toronto. I um, mean, Toronto mm-hmm. has said for the past three years now, they want to acquire another young skater who can score goals at a consistent level. And Forsberg is that he is right now a point per game kind of guy. Um, and Toronto's got, I mean, choose your pick. They've got young guys all over that, those top four lines that could yeah. be consistent, great players. I mean, William Nylander is one they talk about potentially dealing him. Maybe Nashville gives up Forsberg and a, I don't know another guy in an exchange. I mean, Nylander is a guy who can come in and make an impact right away. Now, will he score thirty goals? Would it be who knows? Smart
1: for a team to. This is another thing, like trading somebody to get a veteran presence. Would you yeah. trade, like, say Forsberg, and maybe a couple of guys in our at our uh, AHL team, for a veteran, or would it be a player in the NHL and a couple of picks? Like,
0: yeah, I mean, I think here's what we have not going for us right now is our farm system is one of the bottom three in the league so the Milwaukee Admirals are one of the worst AHL teams we don't have much there. the only credible guy is Phil Tomasino our draft pick from this year who's going to be a very very good player but besides that it's a very mediocre bunch of players um, who are not going to sell for much if you deal them away Um, I think that's why it's going to have to be NHL play an NHL player like a Forsberg or and Arvidsson and then picks because we don't have much leverage with that. Whereas like you look at some other organizations. I mean, you got teams like Edmonton. I mean, I remember Colorado, Colorado has a fantastic farm league team. Cale McCarr was a guy who came up. He's a fantastic player and that farm system was headlined by him. So they have leverage where they can give away a guy from there for an NHL player. One-on-one swap him right now. We don't have that. It's gonna be an accumulation of NHL, AHL, and maybe a draft pick. It's that's the only way we're gonna get anybody relevant. Now I think is an exception. I think you could trade Forsberg straight up and get a good player. Tolman and too. I don't
1: want to trade him, but if they decided to, he's another guy straight up. I think the best package him. a team should take is if we go to them and offer Arvidson and Forsberg.
0: Agreed. Because those two work well together,
1: they do. And Arvidsson has been—he's uh, the
0: third leading point getter on our team right now, twelve in the season. So yeah. he's still on this team. He's still, you know, top three, which is good. I mean, I—I I, I look at this; these top for us—it's Forsberg, Yossi, Arvidsson, Ellis, Mikhail Grandlin, Duchene, uh, Ekholm. Duchesne has been just—I mean—historically bad this year. Faber, you, you mentioned—I—you ha- you noticed something here. I haven't even said Johansson yet. Johansson. Falls below Nick no, Cousins no. and Eric Halla, who are two seasoned veterans who came in as strictly role players. Our first-line center is not keeping up with our third- and fourth-line role players. That's a problem. Johansson's trade value, you talk about another guy, his trade value is at the floor. His value has gone down. It, he's, he's worth almost nothing now.
1: What could we get if, say, we had a trade package with all three of them, Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Johansson? I think you could actually get – I think
0: in that scenario, you could snag a, a, a good player and maybe a draft pick or two. I, I think you're not going to get two good players out of that. There's just not enough. I think Forsberg himself makes up for one good player. I think Arvidsson and Johansson combined – maybe make up for a player if that – those two guys are just not as good as – as much as I like them, they're not top-tier NHL players. I mean, Arvidsons are leading – now, I will say he has the record for most goals in the season in our franchise at 37, so he's shown he can score. But his offensive style, teams have figured it out, man. I mean, it has been – he has gotten – worse and worse as the years have gone on because it seems like teams have kind of found his game so i think you get a good player in a draft pick in my opinion that's the ceiling of what you could get in my opinion but i I don't know it's 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 hit or miss and this is one of those teams and it's just you know i don't know but you know what we're gonna move on we have talked about nashville enough you and i could probably sit here for two hours and just nitpick this team apart and all the bad stuff that's gone on, but of course, they're sitting 10 and 14, six in the division. They got a game tonight against Dallas, an upcoming eight-game road trip. We'll see how they do, and we'll keep you guys updated too on this trade deadline. Important stuff coming up for the National Predators. Like I said, though, we're gonna April move 12th? on April 12th. Yes, it is. So we'll uh we'll be on the air before that, give you guys some updates. But we're gonna move on. And this is the topic that is very close to my friend Connor's heart. It is the Vanderbilt Commodore's football team. And we're going to give you guys a little bit of an update, kind of a preview about next season. Connor, I'm going to let you take this one to start with. You're a huge fan. I know you are. You're excited. about yeah. they brought in Clark Lee, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator. What are you excited about for this Vanderbilt team this upcoming season?
1: Um, coaching staff. Um, yep. I mean, you look. You just said Clark Lee. Like, I even said this. I had a podcast with one of my classes at Lipscomb, and a friend of mine asked asked me, if you were Vanderbilt, who would you get? Give me your top three. And number one on my list was Clark Lee. And that was like yep. from the very beginning, like the day after we fired Derek Mason and we ended up getting him. Um, and you and I talked before we started. The ex- the energy in that football program with Clark Lee is completely different. Yep, The body language is completely different. The fan base is back with Clark Lee. But of course, you always get that, optimistic fan base coming back once you get a new coach like when we got rid of Franklin brought in Mason um, our fan base wasn't happy that Franklin left but now when when they hear we got the number one coordinator in the country they came back they packed the stadium for his first game against Temple which he lost yes. but still, there's always that excitement so that is going to be something that we're going to have to watch is can Clark Lee keep the fan base together yeah, and that's the biggest thing. I,
0: mean, I I know you've grown up going to games. I've, I've lived in Nashville, so I've gone to some Vanderbilt games. And it, it's, it's sad for the players, too, because a lot of times when you're playing a team like Florida or Georgia, you look up at the stands, and it's 95% red or blue and orange. Like, it's not – the Vanderbilt fan base is – it's a lot like Nashville's fan base, in my opinion, the Predators. If the team's good, they're going to show up. If the team is not good, they're not going to be there. So Vanderbilt is very much in that boat. And, I mean, I think you look at – a huge bright point for Vanderbilt last year was the play of quarterback Ken Sills, a true freshman who really came Mm -hmm. in and established himself as not only a good quarterback, but a team leader, Um, had 1,928 yards, 12 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. And a lot of that, you can't blame on him. I think he was really thrown into a fiery situation with Derek Mason, who no disrespect to him did not know how to run an offense. Um, It was, it's been that way for a long time with Kyle Shermer. Um, it, it's just been with Derek Mason. He's a great defensive mind. Yes. Offense, nice thing. And Ken Sills made the most of his opportunity. I mean, he overachieved in my eyes, if I'm
1: looking in. And I'll, I'm going to talk about Mason for a second. Yeah. Nothing but positive things to say about him as a person. But yep. I bet you can agree with this. As a head coach in the SEC, yep. no. No, like he seven it. years is way too long. I said it in the in my last podcast. Seven years is way too long. Yeah. Um, but if he wasn't a great defensive mind, he wouldn't be at Auburn right now. Yeah, agreed. With that with, Auburn's gonna be good. Auburn's gonna be really good this year. Yes. Um, but then going to Ken Seals, his first game in college, if we had that non conference schedule, he would have been fantastic. Agreed. Week one, we were supposed to play Mercer. Yeah, but COVID happened. We went to a ten-game SEC schedule, and our first game of the season was at Texas A&M, and he looked amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We he I, all, I hate putting it on one person, but it is so true. Ken Seals almost won us that game yep. against Texas A&M. I think he had an interception late that lost it, but we we were. It was our last offensive drive of the game. We were down by, I think it was like either three or six or seven. He was driving us down the field. I yep. was I was pacing back and forth in the room I was and thinking we were actually gonna beat Texas AM, but then he throws the interception and we lose. And you know what happens then. We go oh and ten, fired, fire Derek Mason, you know, yeah. That. that was a highlight of our season. And the you're exactly right. Play on Skill-wise, our players are fantastic. Yeah. But you need to have a good coach in yep. who can produce good talent into great talent. Yeah. We have we have guys that can be good turned into great, and I think Clark Lee and his staff can do it. I don't know if you know who our defensive coordinator is. Our who? defensive coordinator is Jesse Minter. He came from the Baltimore Ravens. That's right, yes. Look at how – baltimore's defense looked last year jesse mentor jesse mentor had a big part in that yep and our quarterbacks coach is joey lynch he was the offensive coordinator at colorado state so he came he, he was fine where he was as an offensive coordinator he comes to vandy takes a step down and he's our quarterbacks coach Justin Lustig is our special teams and tight ends. He was at Syracuse. Syracuse had one of the best, even though it's Syracuse, they had one of the best special teams units in college football. And then we have Javon Hay. He was our defensive line coach. He took a step down to stay on the staff. He's our defensive line coach, or our defensive ends coach. We got uh, Norval McKenzie is our running backs coach. He played with Clark – a couple of these guys on our staff played with Clark at Vandy, and I yep. think that's what we need. We need guys who know Vanderbilt. If you come in, you you either know Vanderbilt or you know the system that we're trying to run. And, of course, the guy coming from Syracuse and Colorado State, they must know the system that we're trying to run. Yep. Even though I don't know what that system is, I haven't heard what kind of offense we're wanting to run – I've been hearing that there is a chance that we're an option offense, which I think with Ken, with Ken Seals, we we would be a fantastic option yep. offense. Agreed. And we got we got uh, what's his name, Ramon Davis. I think he was a running back transfer from Temple. Yeah, he was. I think he has like two or three years left. He's he's going to be fantastic. But when it when you ask me what do I think coming from for this year? Um, it's, it's a word that us Bandy fans are not used to. Winning. Yep. We are going to win with Clark Lee. Clark Lee home run hire. Now, when it, when it came out that we were hiring him, he got a lot of backlash because it was in the ACC championship game. The ACC championship game, I think, was two or three days before we hired him.
0: Yeah, that was. That was right in the midst of
1: all of it. And he, everybody was saying, "Oh, he's distracted. He's he's not going to do good in the ACC championship game." But you look at who they played in the ACC championship game. Yeah. They played Clemson. How can you be distracted going into a game against Clemson? Yeah. You're, you're not. You're no.
0: I mean, Clemson. From is what I've
1: heard of Clark Lee, he is a guy that does not get distracted. If he's not, if he has his mind on one thing, he's going to keep it on that. He's focused. He's a
0: disciplined coach, and we've seen yeah. that. And your, your point about getting the right coach, the right fit, knowing Vanderbilt is so important. And here's the problem with Derek Mason. He's a great defensive mind. He is, no doubt about that. You said That's why he got the job at Auburn. Here's the problem, though. So you look at Vanderbilt's point totals from last year, and 12 against Texas A&M, 7 against LSU, 7 against South Carolina, 21 against Ole Miss, 17 against Mississippi State, 35 against Kentucky, which is pretty good, 17 against Florida, zero against Missouri, and 17 against Tennessee. So it, it wasn't – and not to mention the fact that a great defensive mind, they're giving up 50 points in a couple games. Like, it was that downfall that led to Derek Mason's outgoing. I mean, look, he had survived at Vanderbilt the past couple of years because they had been really good defensively and they had been keeping that offense in games – But this year was the opposite. That lack of defense, or actually the lack of offense, really turned into lack of defense as well. So you can't entirely blame the defensive unit as a whole because when the offense can't stay on the field all the time, defense gets tired. And Ken Seals, that dude was running for his life on like 90% of the snaps. So again,
1: that offensive line could not protect Ken Seals to save their life. You could probably put traffic cones in there and be better off. It's I life. mean, it, it's
0: like, but seriously, but I mean, I think Vanderbilt, you mentioned the term winning, and I agree with you. I think this is a Vanderbilt team that has a very, very uh, friendly schedule up this upcoming year. You know, you're not talking about this a little bit before the show. Let's go ahead and hit it right now. First game is against East Tennessee State at home. Then you go to Colorado State and they play at home against Stanford. They travel to actually they stay at home to play Georgia and then UConn play at Florida, at South Carolina, at home against Mississippi State and Missouri, at home against Kentucky, and then at Ole Miss and at Tennessee. It's inevitable. Here's the, the thing with that.
1: Tough, a little bit. Here, yeah. Here's the thing with that. All of those games that you just mentioned yep. are back-to-back without a bye. Yep. Yep. The and only bye usually, week
0: comes after Missouri. That's the only bye week.
1: Yeah. And so – Teams before Missouri, like you just mentioned, ETSU, Colorado State, Stanford, Georgia, Yukon, Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi yep. State, then a bye.
0: Yep. So that right there, I mean, let, let's just go through this. They should beat East Tennessee State. They should. That, that should be a win right there. You should beat. Again,
1: we should have beaten UNLV, but we didn't. That's
0: true. That's true. Maybe <laughs> be the page of flip. So theoretically, I could see a win against ETSU. I'll go and give you my prediction. I think they beat ETSU. I think they beat Colorado State. I think they have a chance to beat Stanford. I just think David Shaw is tricky. So let's just say Stanford wins. I think Georgia wins because Georgia's good. I think they beat UConn three and two. I'm going to go out there and say it. Will they? I'm not sure. I think this team could beat Florida. I think as many weapons and as much talent as Florida has overall as a program, they are losing 95% of their production from last season. Their only guy they're really returning is Damian Pierce and Jacob Copeland. So and this look at their is a Florida coach
1: Look at Dan Mullen. Yep. From what I've been hearing this offseason, it sounds like he does not want to be at Florida. He almost looks like a he head coaching job for the Jets. Like, I mean, this guy, I know.
0: It's, he's been footing with the NFL for the past few months now. Which so is Talking like, about yeah. being focused. Yep.
1: I mean, he is not.
0: No. And, you, and he's you, trying to you got a quarterback battle right now. You can't find a quarterback. Your defense is still you still have Todd Grantham that you kept Todd Grantham. So oh. Florida's vulnerable. I think Vanderbilt, I think you beat South Carolina. Mississippi with State's always gonna be
1: with the mentality of our program, yep. and we haven't even started we haven't even started spring ball yet. Yep. And the mentality and the energy that I've seen in that team. Mm it's it's we're mark my words we're gonna we're i'm not saying we're gonna be i'm not saying we're gonna win every sec game yeah it's very hard in, unless you're lsu or alabama it is very hard to win every sec game it ever. is agreed and i don't think you can go, i don't think you can be worse than 0 and 10 in the sec no no which we, which we were last year i think you you just said we're beating florida i think our Heck, even look at Georgia. Yep. Do I think we will? Probably not, but we could beat Georgia. Yep. You – Vanderbilt – here's something about Vanderbilt this year,
0: and, and this is the brilliancy of the SEC. I don't care if you're Vanderbilt, Florida, Mississippi State, Missouri, Alabama, you can beat any SEC team on any given day. It can happen. For example, I go to Missouri. As you, I, as the viewers know, I'm trying to, to Missouri. We played Georgia last season. We were a two-touchdown underdog. First half, we're tied at halftime, right? You're like, this is going to be great. Second half, Georgia comes out, blows us out. And the SEC is that kind of league where on any given day, anything can happen. And it might I mean, seem like somebody's going to be great, but they're not. Look, we just don't know.
1: Look at Alabama. Look at Alabama. Back-to-back years, they were losing at halftime to the Citadel. Yep. Like it, I. Like, the SEC is an upset – caliber conference it like, like you just said anything can happen yep. like i mean missouri i mean missouri they were okay drink has that program going in a good direction y'all yep. beat lsu at home yep i mean and they put up 41 they, they beat us 41 to 7 but yep. you look at the year prior when Vanderbilt played lsu we put yep. 38 points on them so i'm saying we were, the, we were the only school that they have played all, and that was their national championship year. They yeah. had Joe Burrow yep. that year. We were the only team that they played to put up that many points against them. And that's what I'm saying. Anything
0: can happen on any given day. And that's why Vanderbilt, that's why you can't overlook. Like, let's say you're going to the next season in Vanderbilt. You can't overlook just because of what their reputation is in the past. It's a new season, You know, a yeah. new coach, new system, new players. You have a quarterback that is more fully developed. I'm telling you. I'm high on Ken Seals. I don't know about anybody else. I am high on this guy. He showed so much from last year that his ceiling this year is way up there. I mean, he has the potential to be a great – one of the best quarterbacks to come through Vanderbilt. Now, will he be? I don't know.
1: Does I have the honestly potential? think he, he – Yes. He has the opportunity to be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Yep, he has that ability. He does. You know, I agree. He, he could have – Again, we, we've said this several times already. Last year, he was good. Yep. He was good with Derek Mason. 100%. Had Clark Lee been there last year, he would have been fantastic. That's my point. He had two, th- almost 2,000
0: yards in a subpar offensive system with not even average coaching, bad coaching. And- Terrible. Players around him were, I mean, the offensive line was eh, not great by any means, and the weapons were okay. But, can yeah, I'm with you. You imagine with this guy in a relevant system, oh man, he got four thousand yard passer right there. Boom, easy. That's what it is. That's the truth of the matter. And I mean, he showed way more than they expected.
1: And and it's crazy how great of a staff Clark Lee can put together. Because I've heard on a handful of occasions. Analysts say, with the defensive coaching staff he has, yep, people are saying Vanderbilt could be one of the could be in the top five defenses in the SEC this year. Of course,
0: of course, and Vanderbilt defensively has We've always struggled. been oh has been, always been. I mean, they're missing. They have been good at times, but I think this is the guy that's going to bring them the next level. And it, it's fun to watch us being Nashville natives, kind of growing up with this team right in the middle of our hometown and seeing them struggle. This is like kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel, it seems like everybody's excited. And you mentioned it's important for him, Clark Lee, to win that first game against ETSU. You have to win that first game to earn the respect and the trust of the fans, because if you don't, then you almost jot down as well. Here we go. It's that same season again where you lose your first game.
1: You know, the thing with that is opening the season with etsu is kind of it's it's tricky to like excite a fan base Yes, I agree I agree because if you, if you beat etsu of course you' of course they're going to be excited it's a win yeah. but if you blow etSU out that's it they're gonna say oh oh it's etSU I mean yeah. of course they should have blown them out yeah I think Colorado and Stanford I, etsu I hate using this term etsu is an easy win. It yeah. it better be an easy win. Yep. Agreed. Colorado State Colorado State and Stanford are key. Key for yep. It. I mean, you, you can almost label ETSU as a scrimmage. You
0: know? I agree because they're they're I, I mean they're they're, 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 a, they're a small division one program, still kind of trying to fit in with the role of the other small D one teams, but you're right. I think Colorado State is tricky because that altitude out in Colorado is different. It's a totally different approach that Vanderbilt's used to, and Stanford. Stanford is never the most talented team, but they're tricky because they have one of the best head coaches in all of college football in David Shaw. David Shaw is a great mind. He does a great job with that program. So I agree. Those two games is where you really track your progress, in my opinion.
1: But 2020 was a very difficult year to, like, really analyze and, like, try to grasp how good a team can be. Because you had way less. I mean, I know SEC only had 10 games and we have a 12 game season, but playing only conference teams and games getting canceled, postponed, everything changing. Looking at how Colorado State and Stanford played, Stanford even, I don't even I think they only won like what, two or three games last year, was it?
0: Yep, that's correct. Yep.
1: But two or three years ago, they were in the Pac-12 championship game. That's what I'm saying. Wait. So, if I, I – I want to get your opinion on this. If you were Vanderbilt yep. looking at Stanford Colorado, and Colorado State and all these other SEC teams, yeah, they played a majority of these SEC teams last year and destroyed us. So, when you're trying to prepare for these teams, do you look at their 2020 season – or do you look at 2019?
0: Yeah, I I think it's tough. I think the, the debate is always there of, you know, especially with this COVID year, was a team really at full health? Were they at, you know, full potential? Um, and I think if I'm a coach, I'm looking at both years. I'm taking tape for both years. And what I'm doing is I'm looking at the players that played both 2019 and 2020, and I'm seeing what was the jump like from 2019 to 2020. And, this is a great example, and he's gone now. But University of Florida, Marco Wilson, right? I'm sure everybody knows him for the infamous shoe throw at the end of the LSU game that lost in that game. He was one of the top defensive backs in 2019, a second-round draft projection pick. He was an all-pro cornerback, an all-SEC cornerback, who was a phenomenal player. Jumped forward in 2020, and he's one of the worst in the country, and now he's a projected seventh-round undrafted kind of guy. So – It's so hard because usually guys are making jumps, but with this weird year, you got guys going down. So Mm -hmm. you got to look at where were they in 2019, where were they in 2020, and then judge from there. And it's tough with the Pac-12, especially, to your point, Connor, with Stanford because the Pac-12 got such a late start and things were so jumbled there that I don't know if any of those teams were actually ready to play. I I think most of those teams – were not in physical shape to play that season, so it's interesting. But I think to your point, you've got to look at both, get a sample size of both going into this game.
1: And it's it's crazy because you look at um, coaching is another really really important aspect of everything. Yeah. How. And I, I talked about Vandy's body language. What was the body language like of the coaches? Like, were they yep. ready to coach? You were talking about were the players ready to play? Were the coaches ready to coach? If that yep. if that Agreed. makes sense. Because you, college football is one of the most watched sports in the world. Everybody 100%. loves college football. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everybody loves college football. And COVID really put a damper on all of that. You Agreed. look at – you were saying how, like, draft stock players were, like, first, second round draft projections, now they're undrafted. Now they're projected undrafted. You look at coaches, you could have a coach, say, like, James Franklin, but, of course, he got a contract extension for clearly no reason. But coaches, you could have one of the best coaches in the country. They have that COVID year. They don't want a game – well, Derek Mason was here seven years and he hardly won, but yep. I'm not even talking about Derek Mason. You have a coach that's one of the greatest in the country. You go, you put them through that COVID year and they hardly win a game and they're fired. Yep. So players and coaches are kind of the same in that aspect. Yep. It's 2020 really messed everything up. 2020
0: was a brutal year just for. All sports. I mean, coaches. It, it, it just was. It didn't even feel the same. And college football, yeah. even though it was here, just didn't feel the same. And so, as bad as Vanderbilt was, this is a new chapter, and you have more time. You got time to put your system in, get your players. Ready. I know we're still dealing with it, but we're on the back side of this thing. This yeah. start. Things are starting to get better, and yeah. soon enough, teams are going to be practicing in full force, and the season's going to come by. And we're hoping for a full stadium, right? That's the goal, yeah. which is
1: important. Um, I'm so glad you talked about a full stadium because huh. other schools were complaining that they weren't going to have their fans there and yeah. the the atmosphere would not be the same. Vanderbilt, that was to. same old, same old. Like <laughs> mean, I mean, we're used to nobody going, but like I said, Clark Lee has put a new spark into this fan base. And yes. he hasn't even – we haven't even had our spring game yet. Yep. And everybody's saying, oh, we're we're, we're going to win six, seven games every year. Um, we're going to get four or five-star recruits who, when we had Derek Mason, we could barely get a two-star. But, you know, it's I, – I, I'm so excited for Clark Lee. I'm, I'm happy for Clark Lee. Uh, do you know – do you even know his story? No. No. Not, he, not only does he know Vanderbilt, he knows mm-hmm. academic institutions. Of course, 100%. Notre Dame, UCLA, Wake Forest, and Vandy. And yep. he had a stop at Bowling Green. Yep. And then his playing career, he fir- when he first started college, he went to Birmingham Southern to play baseball. Yep. So he went to Birmingham Southern to play baseball, Birmingham. transferred to Belmont to play baseball. Then he transferred to Vanderbilt to play football.
0: Unbelievable. So he he's Unbelievable.
1: he's he, he's used to change. So Yes, of course. And like when he was at Vanderbilt he was outstanding. Yep. Um he, he is a, he is a perfect fit for Vanderbilt. He's going to he win is, at yeah. Vanderbilt. He's going to win at Vanderbilt. Um you it's always hard to judge a coach their first year. Um but I think I wouldn't put too much pressure on him. In his first year, I mean, heck, it's Mm. Vanderbilt. We're, we're like, in a losing state of mind, but he's going to bring that winning mentality back. I would give him – he could win four or five games year one and be successful, but year two, um, I mean, our full schedule's not even out yet, but we open at Hawaii next year. Okay, there you go. So, I mean, it's going to take him some time to get used to coaching in the SEC. I know he's yeah. familiar with how I know he's familiar with playing against SEC schools like Beckett, uh, Notre Dame. He played Georgia, Alabama. Um, he even played, what, what did he play Alabama? Didn't they play Alabama in the semifinals? They,
0: oof. yeah, yes, this year they did. This year uh, they did what, yeah.
1: what was the, Cotton yeah, Bowl it was play? the uh, Cotton Bowl. Was, yep. Yeah. So he, he's used to it, but now he's in the SEC. Yeah. So it's going to yeah. take him a year or two to get adjusted. But I think year one will be a successful year for Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. I think so, too. I think it's going to be fun to watch.
0: And, of course, their opening game, Saturday, September 4th, against ETSU, the Buccaneers. We're going to move on. Connor, thank you for that. Of course, this is a Vanderbilt team that there's a lot of excitement in the city of Nashville. we going to jump over now to some March Madness. Connor, a huge college basketball fan. He's all about his March Madness. We're going to talk about it a little bit. And I want to open up, because we am talking about Nashville, before we hit some other previews, last night, The only team in Nashville who had a really legit chance of making it, the Belmont Bruins fell 86-71 to Moorhead State in the OBC finals, essentially eliminating their chance to make the field a play. Is there any chance that they slip in, or is that like the like the nail in the coffin? They're not going to make it.
1: It's tough. Considering how they looked this year, like they had the second longest win streak in the country behind yep. Gonzaga, so hype wise, I think they can get in. Yep. But like realistically, no. I, I think I think losing to Moorhead State was it. I think the best chance they have at a tournament's the NIT. I, I think I they will they will make the NIT if they do not make the NCAA tournament. Um, all season long. From the preseason to now, Belmont was the team to beat in the OVC, and they lost twice. They lost yep. actually no three times. I think I forgot. Yep. I forgot. Who, no, their first loss. Uh, You might want to. Uh, Sam Samper, Samper was their first loss. Sanford, yeah, and Samford. Yeah. They're they're pretty good in the Southern Conference. They are, but yep. they have two conference losses. One in the regular season, one in the conference tournament or conference championship. Yep. Regular season, they lost on the road to Eastern Kentucky. And then, of course, you just said Morehead State. So – and my thing is with Belmont, as good as they've looked this season, why in the world were they not in the top 25 at least once? Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I mean – I I think it all comes back – yeah, I I think
0: the the talent or the issue with Belmont right now – and this has been – you and I know this well enough. The thing holding them back from the top 25 and now the tournament, in my opinion – is the strength of schedule, and I mean, who is the most valuable team they've played? That's that's the problem. Like, who is the best team they've played? I mean, they lost Sanford. They played your Lipscomb bias. So I know that, but like, who is? I mean, you look maybe George Mason. Um, you got Sanford, Tennessee State, Kennesaw State, Evansville, Murray State, UT Martin, Semo. I mean, I don't know if there is one opponent on this schedule that you point to and go, boom. That's a team that could make noise in the NCAA tournament. Maybe they're Cinderella, but why not put in a team from a major conference who is nineteen eleven, who has played like the you know twentieth hard twentieth ske- ranked schedule, as opposed to Belmont, whose schedule doesn't even eclipse the hundred like I, at all. I
1: think I think with that, when it comes to strength of schedule, when you think about strength of schedule, you always say, "Wait, where's the? Have they played Power Five conferences?" I mean, it's a COVID year. Of course they didn't, you know. Um, but nobody – I've, I've seen this firsthand. Nobody understands the talent that is in the OVC. There's – like Murray State, two years ago, John Morant. Yep. Look, look where <laughs> yep. he is. Look where he is. I mean, in TSU. I mean, there's – TSU had a down year this year. But it it was a COVID year. Everybody everybody, there's always gonna be at least one or two teams per conference that has a down year. But looking at the SEC Vanderbilt, we're used to down year, so we can't really <laughs> blame it on COVID. But there's always gonna be that one team. I mean, you look at this the the teams that are in the OBC, Eastern, Eastern Kentucky. They have Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead State, Beaumont, TSU. Morehead and-
0: state's no joke. Morehead state. Good. Here's my point. Here's my point. I think Belmont has a valid argument. But from a committee standpoint, I think they're looking at the schedule. But in my opinion, and here's the thing. Okay, their schedule is not powered by opponents, like you said. The OVC is better than people think. And not only is it better than people think, the way Belmont was beating teams this year, scoring 100-plus points, I mean, they were beating the heck out of people consistently night in and night out.
1: And you, you look at teams, and you're – I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to talk back on my point where the Power Five school, and your point was strength of schedule. I'm looking at a projected bracket right now, and there's teams in the playing games, North Carolina a and Hartford, Cleveland State, and Prairie View. What kind of strength of schedule were they? You can't you know? tell
0: me that Belmont has not had more valuable wins and performances. That Prairie View has or Cleveland State. I mean, Belmont, we've seen them firsthand. I don't think people – I'm with you. I don't think people realize the talent that this Belmont team has. On the first episode of this show, actually, when it was by myself, I was talking about Belmont. And if they won the OBC, how they were a real Cinderella possibility to go far in the tournament because yes. they match up against everybody. And I mean everybody. I, they could play I've, I've, I was against saying everybody this, in the country.
1: I was saying this for a very long time. The skill that Belmont has, they look like an Elite Eight team. 100%. 100%. Easy. They're balanced. They got Easy. a big
0: guy, Nick
1: Mazinski, their center, their post. He can do everything.
0: He can score on the inside. Mm-hmm. He can shoot the three well. He's incredible.
1: And I think that, like, size-wise, amazing. they're amazing. You, you see these teams across all conferences – that play the first five minutes of a half and they're exhausted. Yeah, like Belmont, they they're full of energy that entire game. I, I have hardly seen them look worn out at all this year. Um, they have a going back to your question. Do, will do they get in? They just like you said, they have a serious argument. Yep, but I don't think the I think the committee wants realistic, but. It's kind of shaky because if you want realistic, then why the heck is Cleveland State in? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, how many games has has Cleveland State won? Um,
0: I mean, who does Cleveland like? Who does Cleveland State like? That's the thing. Who do they play?
1: Like, right, what did they earn? I'm looking at them right now. They're 17 and seven overall. They're first okay. place in the Horizon League. They played. T- Ooh, this is it. This is it. They lost by six to Ohio State. Okay. Well, there you go. That's the thing. They they play every everybody twice. They play Toledo, Ohio, Ohio State, uh, Youngstown State, uh, Northern Kentucky, Wright State, Oakland, Detroit.
0: And Oakland's good. Oakland's a good team.
1: Yeah, but Ohio State's pretty much it. And then look at North Carolina A and T real quick. They are eleven and ten and they're first in their conference which that says a lot.
0: I mean if, 11 and 10 that and that's my argument with this is like you're going to let and if they win it they win it whatever. Okay, okay here's but 11 the thing. and 10.
1: North Carolina ANT goodness gracious. Their first game was against number 8 Illinois. At number 8 Illinois, they lost 122 to 60. Holy. But they All right, that this I do not get because they they play, I mean they played VCU, Illinois, Stanford, and they got their butts kicked. So it's that's the point. They're going to reward
0: you for playing somebody good but getting killed. What does that prove? That proves that when they, you they get lost, the tournament,
1: our, here are their three games. They lost to Illinois, like I just said, one twenty two to yeah. sixty. Lost to Stanford, seventy eight to forty six. Yep. And lost to VCU 95 to 59.
0: So why not put Belmont? Why not give Belmont a chance? That's the million dollar question, right? Why not?
1: I, it, I'm it, gonna look at one more team real quick. Hartford, yeah, 14 and 8 their fourth place, yeah. they're they their fourth in the American East. Let's see the teams that they've played. Yukon, Villanova. You okay. Yukon and Villanova. That's it. And yep. they lost they lost to Yukon 69 to 57. They okay. played UConn and Villanova back-to-back. Lost to UConn 69-57, to and lost to Villanova 87-53. to Yeah, okay. So You're
0: it's, exactly again, right. it's, why
1: not Belmont?
0: Why not put a team that's 26-4 and four and has beat the heck out of teams, why not put them in? So I, I want to jump transition to this now. So, Connor, you told me before the show you had kind of a list of teams to watch for going into my finals for each conference. So Belmont, of course, the OBC, they're probably out, but Go ahead and tell me now. I know this isn't all Nashville. some other stuff, but i as well bring some March medicine because it's time. Yeah. Who are your sleepers from other conferences? Just, I mean, the big ones and then the
1: small ones as well. I'm going to start with the Western Athletic. Okay. Um, the WAC. Grand Canyon. Yep. Do, here's a question for you. Do you know who Grand Canyon's head coach is? I do not know who Grand Canyon's head coach is. <laughs> Former Vanderbilt head coach Bryce Drew. There you go. Okay. He, this is his first season at Grand Canyon. Um, I'm trying to find their uh record. I remember
0: Bryce Drew well. Yeah,
1: good grief. He was amazing. I loved him. Um, yeah, he was fan favorite too. Uh, they beat Utah Valley yesterday 74 to 64. Okay, that won the WAC regular season championship. There you go. That is the first time like Grand Canyon won their regular season conference title in school history. That's amazing. That's and amazing. Grand Grand Canyon and this is again, like I like I said, Clark Lee's this is his first year at Grand Canyon. They're 15 yep. and 6. Unbelievable. In his first year.
0: It's all about getting a coach. That's that's the key.
1: So Grant Grand Canyon's my western athletic. Looking at the West Coast, I don't think there's anybody in the West Coast conference that can beat Gonzaga. No, Gonzaga is top dog. They're top no, dog. They're, they're going to be the number one overall seed in the tournament. 100%. 100%. Um, OBC, it was Belmont, but yeah. I think there's two teams. In the, actually, I can't really say that now because the tournament's over. Moorhead State. I yeah. mean, if they if had to be. Beat, they- if you can beat Belmont, you got to be good. You know? 100%. Um, yep. And Moorhead State's been like a top four team in the OBC all year long. Yeah. Um, a Sun is Liberty. Now what I don't really understand about Liberty is that they haven't even played the conference championship game and they're already in the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah. Because there was this whole rule for people who don't know. So North Alabama was the other team playing in the conference championship game, but because they, because they haven't successfully moved and transitioned from division two division one, they were ineligible. So, Literally, without even playing, you're right. Liberty got in, and Lipscomb's in the A1, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and the, but Lipscomb's done. They lost round one to Florida. Yeah, it was a tough,
0: tough year for them.
1: Actually, a good, good considering the teams that they played hmm. this year for Lipscomb was outstanding. Um, L- Lipscomb
0: I mean, is another team. I, I know you're a student there right now, Connor. Lipscomb yeah. is one of those teams too we've seen over the years. I know Kenny Cooper, a former alumni of my high school, played there. Rob Marbury, same way. Lipscomb had a couple legit teams. Like, I mean, they had some teams that were – I think – didn't they beat North Carolina a few years back? In the tournament, they, in like a first round or something? They almost did. They were, almost
1: did, yeah. They were so close. That's what it was. It almost um, did, yep. Yeah. But you look at – I'm going to uh, – I'm looking at their schedule now. Three of their non-conference games were at Tulane – at Cincinnati, at Arkansas. There you go. Arkansas is legit, man. Is they good. lost. They lost all three, but still, they lost to Tulane sixty-eight to sixty-six. They lost to Cincinnati sixty-seven to fifty-five. There you go. But they, of course, Arkansas. They lost to Arkansas eighty-six to fifty. Yep. But scoring fifty points against Arkansas in a mid-major conference—well,
0: Arkansas is good. I mean, Arkansas has proven themselves. They're a, they're a top three seed in the tournament this year, at least. Yeah, they're good.
1: Um, let's see. Lipscomb's overall record this year was fifteen and 12, 10 and four at home. Um, so they they have the talent, and of course, their old head coach is Casey Alexander. He's the head coach of yep. Belmont. Yep. Um, I think this is the first t- first time. In four years, I think that Belmont that Lipscomb is not in the A Sun Championship game. The that's past three years, too. past three years they've been in the A Sun Championship game. Unreal. And they they and two of those three years they played Liberty, lost both. But the one time that they won it was against Florida Gulf Coast, and that's the year right. that they went to the uh, NCAA tournament uh, and barely barely lost to North Carolina. Yeah, um, I, 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 remember think that, I, saying, I remember that. I was gonna say I remember that. Even though they lost to North Carolina, I think that game put Lipscomb on the map. I think so, too. I agree. Lipscomb landed one of the top – I think he's the top recruit in the state of Alabama. He was a freshman this year, Tommy Murr. Yeah, um, I know you're talking about. Is it, Lipscomb, is it Lipscomb this year? He put Lipscomb over, I want to say, Troy and Sanford, I think. So, two mm-hmm. Alabama schools and Lipscomb. And L- Lipscomb was, is –
0: Lipscomb is tough because I mean we know this too being in Nashville. Lipscomb is overshadowed by the Vanderbilt and Belmont program because those yeah. are two schools that have been in the tournament on a consistent basis, and we know. But Lipscomb is a team that has been more successful in terms of winning than probably Vanderbilt recently, and Belmont they've been almost just as successful. So,
1: and you if can't you follow, about if you follow the NBA, then you know that a Lipscomb former Lipscomb players. Is- in the starting five of an NBA team right now, you look at the yep. Washington Wizards, Garrison Matthews. That's right. Starting five of the Washington Wizards, and they have Bradley Beal. They have it's Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, and he's in the starting five with those two guys. He's I mean, that's
0: and that that's, that's that that says a lot. So uh, who's all right? So who's the next conference? Then you got, right. as a, um, got a team there.
1: Yeah. Big East. Um, there's been a there's been a lot of um, criticism about this team, but. I I looked at the teams in the Big Big East and I looked at their record and I don't think there's a team better than this than this team Creighton.
0: Agreed, uh, I agree.
1: But Creighton's head coach is he's suspended I think for the conference tournament. Um, yeah. Creighton's a team to beat. If if anybody beats Creighton, then I might put that team as the as the team to watch. Yeah. Um, looking at the Southern Conference, it's not Sanford. I'm going with Wofford. I like um, it. Nice. Wofford's pretty good. I'm, again, looking at – I don't don't think I see him here yet. Um, But they have – I'm looking at a a potential bracket. I don't see Wofford on here, but I think Wofford's a sleeper team in the Southern.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Now let's go to the Power Five. Actually, no, Missouri Valley. Um, Then we'll go to the Power Five, Loyola, Chicago. Yes, Sister Jean. Sister Jean, good grief. (laughs) Um, Man, uh, so now we're going to the power five schools. Um Pac twelve, I got Colorado. I think Colorado's oh, yes. looked they uh, over the past couple of years they haven't been that that good, but I think this year is yeah. a little bit of a uh better year for them. Uh yep. Big Twelve, I got Oklahoma State. Yeah, like, Kay, Kay Cunningham. I think he's hurt though.
0: Um, he is right now. He's he missed the past game, but they still beat West Virginia, who was sixth in the country. So still. they're still winning. Maybe.
1: Um, that was really hard to pick. It was either Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. But I think Oklahoma State swept Oklahoma. They did. Yeah, they did. So, you so got to go Oklahoma State. Um, ACC, I got North Carolina State. Um, yep. It was – it it, it kind of felt weird not putting Duke or North Carolina. Yep. But, I mean, I looked at a uh, first four out. Uh, has since changed since the last time I looked at it. But two of the teams that were in the first four out, Duke and Michigan State.
0: That's what's crazy, man. And Duke just got clobbered yesterday by UNC. I mean, clobbered yesterday.
1: But if you want to look at this, uh, now I'll finish my list. You look at the first four out, you see a team in there, Ole Miss. Yep. You know know what team put Ole Miss in the first four out? Vandy, because Vandy beat him 75-70. Yep. That's right. But yesterday, yesterday, Ole Miss beat us. Yep. And they're still in the first four out.
0: Yep. So if, I saw they, that.
1: if they miss the tournament, it's yep. because of Andy. 100%. And that, that would make Vandy look good, even though we're not.
0: I want to talk about Vandy when we're done with this, too. I want to talk about Vandy when you go through your list.
1: Yeah. Um, Big 10, I got Wisconsin. Yeah, fair enough. That, that was kind of hard, either either Illinois or Wisconsin, but yeah, of course, Wisconsin. Um, and then SEC, the team to beat, team to watch is Arkansas. I mean, one hundred percent. Like twelve, what are they? Twelve straight wins or eleven? Straight? Oh, it's
0: it's it's incredible. They're they are playing. I've had the chance to watch them live. here actually on campus, and they are they're legit. I, they got. They've got a good team put together this year, um, and they're a force. And, they I mean, they beat Alabama. They're the ones that knocked off Alabama for the first time in a while. Um, Of course, Bama only two conference losses. But I'll be honest, I know this is Nashville stuff, but I think Arkansas plays better basketball than Alabama does. I think Alabama's good, but I think Arkansas poses a bigger threat in terms of all-around basketball. But this is something I want to mention real quick. So the SEC is, as we know, so wide open this year. And so we talk about, you know, going back to one of our national teams, Vanderbilt, and it's been a struggle for Vanderbilt. Of course, they're 3-13 and this year in the conference, uh, 8-15 and overall. But at least we
1: won an SEC game, you know.
0: Exactly. But here's – Vanderbilt to me is tricky, and I think this is a year where you could see a Vanderbilt upset in the first round. okay they can beat Texas A&M in the first round. A&M's good. Oh, easy. I mean, A&M's, not, A&M's not good. I've, also, I've but actually heard that
1: there is a chance. There's actually a chance Texas A&M cannot play in the SEC tournament.
0: Which would be Which would give Vanderbilt a first-round bye, which would move them on to the next round. So yeah. I'm going to say one thing, too, and you know this. I'm sure you know this guy. One name, Scotty Pippen Jr.,
1: Absolutely.
0: is a beast.
1: He's a beast. He, he is a
0: guy that's going to lead um, Vanderbilt to a win if they're going to get it.
1: Actually, no, it was I think it was Cincinnati um that we played. Um we also adding Cincinnati this late, I don't I don't know why we I don't know why we did that, but we played Cincinnati on Thursday night. Yeah. And Pippen had missed the the pat the previous three or four games because of a hip injury. He yep. comes into Cincinnati twenty three points. He's our leading scorer. He but played
0: his butt off too. I
1: agree, and sadly, who was it? I think it's Dylan DeSue. He is having to have knee surgery, so he's done for the year. But we have Cleavon Brown, who last year Cleavon was the talk of the school. This year yep. he's kind of he's kind of falling a little bit. But Scotty Pippen,
0: um, I mean Scotty Pippen is top four in the conference, averaging twenty point six points a game right now, two point eight rebounds and five assists. So this guy is playing not just at a high level for Vanderbilt, in the country. Like, this is a guy who has made his name known, of course, his dad and NBA All-Star and, you know, superstar Scottie Pippen. But this guy is legit. And I'm telling you, this is a year where we have seen so much change in the SEC. For example, Alabama is a long-time one. Then they came into Missouri, Missouri knocked them off. What happens? Missouri goes on, loses three straight games. Nobody knows in this conference. I mean, the Gators are supposed to be great. Keontae but, Johnson didn't play. Who knows?
1: But you look at two teams that are supposed to be powerhouses in the SEC, Kentucky and Tennessee.
0: And they are. They, Kentucky is but, getting better. They're playing better, but yeah. now they need to be this year. I mean they but have Tennessee.
1: Tennessee, they were on a hot streak. Yep. And then Alabama comes into Thompson Bowling, beats them. Yep. And then they, they just fall apart. And they they, have they've been the on and I think the way the bracket will look in the SEC tournament, if Texas A&M cannot play Vandy in the first round, the second round will be Tennessee and Vandy, which
0: would be interesting. Which I think is a winnable game for the Commodores. I do.
1: Yeah, it it it, it all depends on two things, and it's they're 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 similar, actually they're the same thing. What Tennessee team shows up, what Vanderbilt team shows up, hundred percent. If and it. When it comes to Vandy, it depends on what Scottie Pippen shows up.
0: Yeah, he's is the key. It,
1: yeah. It, I, again, I said this earlier. I hate putting p- so much pressure to win games on one player, but Scottie Pippen is pretty much all we have. Yeah. And so I have
0: okay. So I actually have an updated bracket. So Vanderbilt plays AM, right? So assuming what, Vanderbilt does A so Vanderbilt's a 12th seed. A and M's thirteen. So, you finish above AM. So good. So, if you – let's say you beat – let's say Vanderbilt beats AM, They would actually play Florida. They play Florida instead of Tennessee because Tennessee beat Florida today. So, you play the so, Gators. So
1: Tennessee, so, Tennessee beat Florida, so they get
0: two balls. They they're, the they're the four seed, correct. So, you play Florida, and then Vanderbilt would play Tennessee. And then from there, you, if you beat Tennessee, you play Alabama or Kentucky or somebody – So, it's tricky. It's going to be, but again, this is the joy of the SEC this year. Is I think any one of these teams could make a run.
1: The best chance, the best chance we have at making the the NCAA tournament, is winning the whole thing. Hundred percent. That's our only chance. But if we go deep and we look good, do you think? I know the record might hurt us. Do you think we're an NIT team, even if – I Say we go to semifinals and lose by two or three to, like, Alabama. Okay, I, I think
0: if you – I think if Vanderbilt makes a deep run, goes to the semifinals, and they lose by two or three to Alabama or whatever it is, I think there is a legit chance of them making the NIT. Of course, the NCAA tournament is probably out of the picture because they care a lot about record and where you're sitting record-wise. But I do think there is – now, the only thing I'd say, though, I'm sure you saw this. The only thing about the NIT this year is they cut the field down to just 16 teams. So they've chopped the field from 32 to 16 this year in order to help with COVID. So are you able to slide in with, six, with 15 other teams? I don't know, but they make a case for themselves by beating three or four really good SEC teams, right? So yeah. where do you go from there? I don't know, but I think there is, yes. I think there could be a chance if they play really well and look good in the tournament.
1: I do. And and the joy is it's in Nashville.
0: So you and I get to enjoy this right from Nashville, which is awesome. So we can see all of it happen right there in the hometown.
1: It's insane. But you look at – I'm looking at NIT Mm. bracketology right now. And looking at the team – no, Vanderbilt's not getting in the NIT. Yeah, Um, no way. I mean, I'm just going to name you a few of the teams that – are projected to go to the NIT: Old Miss, Syracuse, Memphis, Duke, Marshall, Belmont, NC State, and Louisiana Tech.
0: Yeah, and and that's the hard part, right? Like that's that's hard. That, that's do you get in there? Probably not. Um, so
1: it all I will do, see it, it. In my opinion, is not just how we do in the SEC tournament; it's how these separate teams do in their conference tournament.
0: And my, so my dad, he, he's a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. And he told me, I, I remember this a few years back. It was at the SEC tournament and Georgia was a ten seed. And there was this terrible storm that forced the SEC tournament to be played at Georgia tax arena. So it's supposed to be in Nashville. They didn't move it. Right. So it's in Atlanta. And what happens? Georgia, the ten seed, there's almost no fans there. They end up winning the tournament as a ten seed. So it's, is as bad as Vanderbilt's struggle at times this season, we don't know. And that's why, like a team like Kentucky is very dangerous to Alabama as a potential first opponent for them. So I, I think Vanderbilt struggled, but who knows?
1: Looking looking at record, and you're you're saying who's a Kentucky's a threat to Alabama. I think Vanderbilt's a threat to Kentucky.
0: I think so too. I think so too. 100 percent
1: Honestly, I think any team in the SEC is a threat to Kentucky because of how they played this year, but especially Vanderbilt. Yeah, agreed. Because usually with a normal Kentucky team, Vanderbilt gets destroyed. 100%. But I think this year, both times, we've lost by less than 10. Usually we're losing by like 30 or 40. So I think, again, it all depends on what Vanderbilt team shows up. Vanderbilt's got a really good chance – or not a really good chance, in, a, a very small chance to make a deep run, possibly even win it. You're saying how that yep. storm in Atlanta and Georgia was a 10 seed and Georgia ended up winning the tournament. Well, the tournament's in Nashville. We're a 12 seed. We're going through COVID. It's isn't, it, isn't that kind of similar? So Vanderbilt, if if you're looking back on Georgia, we could be the next the next Georgia and win the SEC tournament.
0: Agreed, which would be interesting, you know, for Vanderbilt. I mean, in Nashville, um, you're going to have, you know, a chance, I guess, to kind of prove to your home, you know, fan base. Um, But it's hard. But I think the matchups actually – look, Florida is a good team. I think Mike White's done a decent job. But they're missing a lot of guys. I mean, Keontae Johnson, arguably the SEC player of the year, hasn't played since like the first couple weeks of the season because of that heart condition. So, Florida's vulnerable. And they're good, yeah. but Vanderbilt could very easily come in and beat them. So it's it's interesting. It's curious. Um, I don't know, but I'm all excited to see it play out. We're almost out of time. One thing I want to hit though before we go a sport that you might or something you might not look at is some high school basketball championships that have happened in the Nashville area. This is actually not from Nashville, but uh, Knoxville Webb, the Web School, actually, Web School. And uh, bell buckle beat Providence Christian 54 38 to win their state championship. Good Pasture beat CPA, the Lions 60 to 50 in their state championship. Hutchinson beat Knoxville Catholic 41 34. And the big one, the one that we all know, Montgomery Bell Academy absolutely beat the heck out of Brentwood Academy 72 to 51 to win their state championship. So, a couple of uh, class two or division two championships there so a good weekend for high school basketball congratulations to all this high school connor thank you for joining my man it was good to talk nashville sports i'm sure all you're listening we'll see connor back on here in a few weeks he's not going anywhere we'll be back on here to talk more sports titans preds nashville sounds i know connor is actually the bat boy for the nashville sounds he is super excited to get their season start up in may
1: i yeah, know it's a little bit
0: i know it's a little bit weird right now it's a little weird yeah,
1: um we actually got we're actually delayed until may so we're not going okay. playing- uh, it was supposed to be April 6th. Now we're pushed back to at least uh, May 4th. It all depends on how the rest of uh, Major League Baseball spring training goes, Major League Baseball affects Minor League Baseball in a lot of ways. So, yeah, um, we're a new gotcha. affiliate. We're the affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, there you new go. Schedule nice. with, with, uh, Norfolk Tides, Durham's, uh, Durham Bulls, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. We got a totally different schedule, totally different <laughs> team. Um, so it's going to be exciting.
0: I love it, man. Well, hey, once we get closer to May, we'll make sure to be on here and breaking down all the Nashville Sounds action news updates. So, Connor, again, thank you, man, for joining us. As for me, I'll be back on next week, another episode. You can catch me on Spotify. This is High Notes Nashville Sports. I'm Garrett Pay. This is Connor Owens. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great one, and enjoy your Nashville sports the upcoming week. Take care.